Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The biggest issue that I deal with often is this kind of black and white thinking of either I'm doing everything, I'm cutting out alcohol, I'm not eating sugar, I'm not eating carbohydrates, I'm training seven days a week. Obviously, that can't be sustained. Then they're doing the complete and utter opposite, nothing. What I do with my clients is we find the gray, the middle, you know, understanding how you can drink alcohol, how you can eat carbohydrates, you can go out for dinner with friends and have dessert and get results. Welcome to series 11 of the Not Perfect podcast, a show that's here to share conversations with world leading thinkers to help us grow, stretch our minds, thrive and heal from within. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie a best-selling author of Happy Not Perfect and entrepreneur. I've spent the last decade exploring how we can live better, support our mental health better, expand our consciousness and feel full even when things feel turbulent. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to this episode with Max Lowry, who is becoming iconic in the fitness industry with his unique method of training, the mind and the body for greater health, and most importantly, a healthier relationship with food. I can certainly testify to going through different times in my life when I've had a fraught relationship with food, and we don't necessarily talk about this enough. It's so easy these days to have an uncomfortable relationship with something we have to do to live. So we're either told we have to eat this or not eat that or eat more of this, and often you're not in the environment that can support any of this advice, even if we wanted to follow it. So I'm delighted to talk to Max today about long-term behavior change and working towards a healthier, happier life from a mind and body perspective. What is a favorite quote you return to often and why? Favorite quote actually is by um, Tony Robbins. I use this with my clients all the time. And it's, if you talk about it, it's a dream. If you envision it, it's possible. If you schedule it, it's real. And that's just on the, to highlight the importance of scheduling things in. It's something that's incredibly powerful for me, but also for, for my clients as well. I really like that. I think culturally, we're in a time of a lot of talking and often not a lot of doing. I mean, I can certainly say this about myself. I can tell people wellness advice all day long. And then actually, it's not until I actually do my own advice does it have any sort of impact. So that definitely resonates with me. What is a life lesson you've been reminded of recently and why? One life lesson that I have to constantly remind myself of, and this is unrelated to clients, I guess, but it's to not hold other people accountable to your own standards Mm. because often you're going to be disappointed. And that's something I have to, I do have quite high standards for myself Mm. and my clients. And sometimes that causes me problems because ultimately I think I get disappointed when people don't live up to my expectations but actually the best way to never be disappointed is just to alter your expectations and not to have a pessimistic view of people, but just to understand that people are going through their own journeys and have their own 
issues and to not necessarily expect everyone to be holding themselves to the same standard that you are. Gosh, I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that life lesson. I think it's so easy to become disappointed in relationships and friendships when you think, well, I would have done this for them or whatever. And people don't return the level of thought or action towards you. And that's a hard life lesson. And I appreciate that you said you have to constantly remind yourself of it. Because I don't think as humans, we can help having expectations. No, and actually, it's double faceted. It's not just an individual having expectations on other people. Mm. It's also when you yourself don't live up to someone else's expectations. Mm. And what I find really useful with my clients, especially working right at the beginning, is sometimes I get them to have a conversation with their family and just say, look, sometimes I'm going to have to put some time into myself and I'm going to have to say no to you. Mm. And if you don't alter their expectations and let them know, then suddenly they're going to be surprised by a change in behavior. And people really don't like it when there's a surprise in this change in expectations. So yeah, it's, it's important and it works kind of both ways. And lastly, how do you understand the soul? Yeah, that's a really difficult one for me to answer. It's not something that I've actually given too much thought about. I think ultimately your soul is your most authentic self, I guess. Mm. It's you being confident in who you are and what you're doing, I think. Love that. Your, your most authentic self. That feels very soul aligned. And this brings me on to your work because I guess, you know, I've seen your career unfold. And as it's unfolded and unfolded and unfolded, I feel like you are definitely living quite a soul aligned life. You know, you've never looked so relaxed you've never been so passionate and as a consequence you've never been so successful you're helping thousands of people achieve their health goals and so how did this happen could you explain a bit of the backstory how I am now is a result of maybe doing something which was completely unaligned with who I was and what I uh, my most authentic self which I guess was working in nightclubs for a period of time in London, uh, as you know, we parted quite a lot, <laughs> which was fun. Don't get me wrong, but it was alcohol and drugs. My nickname was Party Boy. I do nothing in half measures. And then that led me into four years in the city of London as a stockbroker, which gave me a purpose. And essentially, I was just being paid, but to also go out and party all the time. Um, again, fun, but actually not in line with who I truly am, which is actually someone who is you know, I was very active at school. I was county level at three sports. That was my life. But it was a case of me doing it because I was good at it, not necessarily because I enjoyed it. And I only kind of realized later in life that my kind of sense of identity is very much wrapped up in in being active and being healthy and excelling. So yeah, kind of flipped the switch and qualified as a personal trainer 2012. So this is before, it, I think Instagram was a thing, but you know, fitness wasn't a billion dollar industry at the time, the same way that it is now. So it was definitely a risk, but ultimately that risk definitely paid off because I'm now aligned with, you know, what I am truly passionate about and I'm helping others, which I wasn't doing working in finance. And I really believe when you do something you are truly passionate about, you are 10 times more likely to succeed at it because it doesn't really feel like a job most of the time. And that's led me down 10 years of helping people one-on-one -on -one and then, you know, directly and indirectly through social media. I've worked with hundreds of people one-on-one -on -one and have a very good understanding of how to create long-term behavioral change, which is the most difficult thing 
in a world and an environment of conflicting information, conflicting advice, extreme advice. So yeah, that's kind of what led me to where I am now. To touch on that point, extreme advice, social media is, it's amazing. I mean, the content you put out is extremely helpful. You're incredibly conscious about what you share. But then there are tons of fitness instructors online that actually can be pretty detrimental. What are some of the myths that you find yourself constantly clearing up with clients? The biggest issue that I deal with often is this kind of all or nothing mindset, kind of black and white thinking of either I'm doing everything, I'm cutting out alcohol, I'm not eating sugar, I'm not eating carbohydrates, I'm training seven days a week. Obviously that can't be sustained. Then they're doing the complete and utter opposite, nothing. And this kind of thinking is exacerbated by the messaging that is put out by fad diets and, and diet culture. Carbs are bad, you know, sugar's bad, alcohol's bad, you know, all that kind of stuff. And getting out of that thinking, that way of thinking can be very difficult. And ultimately it leads to extreme behaviors. Like I just mentioned, you know, it's January and everyone's going all in for January while motivation and willpower is high, but obviously you can't sustain that level of restriction and deprivation or exercise. And unfortunately, then people associate being fit and healthy with restriction and deprivation. And you're never going to get long-term success if you're feeling restricted and deprived. So really what I do with my clients is, you know, we've got that black and white thinking. We find the gray, you know, the middle. Mm. And unfortunately, it's not exciting. It doesn't sell fat loss programs, but it's what works. It's, you know, understanding how you can drink alcohol, how you can eat carbohydrates, you can go out for dinner with friends and have dessert and get results and it not be a case of you failing and then feeling guilty about it on Monday and looking for a way of making up for it with some kind of, you know, extremely low calorie diet. God, I mean, the black and white thinking, I think it gets all of us. It is such a disease in many ways. And you're in that kind of spiral of shame, blame, guilt. And we're going to come on to some of the actual ways that you intervene but you only work with women why is it that you only work with women I do work with some men but it is 99% women and purely because when I started being a personal trainer in London 90% of my clients were female for whatever reason that is I think part of it is because women are less afraid to ask for help whereas men like to think they know what they're doing so for you know six seven years working one-on-one in person with clients it was women so that's my experience. And then on top of that, once I kind of switched to online coaching, um, I realized that actually just working with one type of person is better because then everything is optimized for that one person. You know, my program is continually evolving based off the feedback of one specific type of person. So it's better as a coaching model. It's also better for the client. But then also male and female physiology and psychology is very different and fat loss is a very different place uh, for women than it is for men you know men often decide that they want to lose some weight and all they do is you know they sort their diet out a bit and they move a bit more and they get fat loss results and there's not nearly as much pressure or guilt or kind of psychological issues that go alongside with it on top of the fact that it is easier for men to lose weight one reason for this amongst many others is because we have more muscle and the more muscle you have, the higher your metabolism is. So you burn more calories at rest, which means you can eat more um, and still get away with losing weight. So those are really the reasons why, uh, but ultimately the way in which I coach my clients and the pressures that are on women is just very, very different. Uh, but that's my experience and that's what I'm very good at. 
That's really interesting. What do you feel is quite unique then to women physiology and psychology that potentially operate as the biggest barriers to them getting the achieved results? Well, there's two facets to this. There's the, well, let's start with psychologically. Unfortunately, there's more pressure on women to look and act a certain way from family, friends themselves, but mm. you know, mostly media, social media, there's just more pressure. So that means that from a young age, and this really is the bulk of my clients have had a mum, a teacher, a doctor, a sibling say something about their weight at a very young age. And that's basically affected the way they see themselves and also then made them gravitate towards trying to lose weight all the time. And then they kind of get stuck in what I call the diet cycle, where basically you're just cycling through different diets over a period of time, losing weight, putting it back on, losing weight, putting it back on, and just ending up feeling very, very confused in combination with, you know, there's just this constant pressure to look at and act a certain way. That's not the same for men at all. On top of the fact that women have periods, there's a whole host of different things that happen on a monthly basis, which make fat loss and, and keeping fit a bit more complicated, not impossible, but just different considerations need to be taken into account. And then of course, you've got a massive event happening 45 plus, which is perimenopause and menopause, which can be complicated. And it means that potentially what worked for them in the past isn't going to work for them at that moment in time. And a different approach needs to be taken. Doesn't happen for men, not the same. And, you know, men can have complicated relationships with, with food and issues with fat loss as well, but it's, it's just a bit more difficult for women for those reasons. So do you train people differently depending where they are on their cycle? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, no woman's cycle is the same, but, you know, what often happens at different phases is one thing is that, you know, women often experience cravings at different times of the month. And often this is because uh, your metabolism increases at different stages, you know, depending on what's going with hormones. And instead of kind of listening to their bodies and maybe actually just eating a bit more because you need a bit more, often the, the clients I deal with, and maybe you've experienced this yourself, uh, is you're fighting against it and you're trying to, you know, restrict and deprive yourself and like, no, I shouldn't feel hungry. I shouldn't do this. And then, you know, again, there are certain phases of the cycle where you're not going to want to train really, really hard in the gym. You're not going to want to turn up to a group hit class and smash which is the word that everyone uses, uh, your body, you're maybe going to want to do some yoga, some stretching, um, some slow walking. It's surprising to me that both men and women don't understand their bodies, but lots of women mm. that I deal with really have no idea on, on how things are changing and how to react to that. I think it's getting better, uh, especially things with like the aura ring where you can now track your cycles automatically. There you go. I've got one. Yeah, it's great. Is that the new one? Yeah, this is the new one. And I'm um, for everyone listening. So I have this aura ring that tracks my sleep and my movement. And I'm finding the data super helpful. Well, it's not just that the new one um, actually will sync with natural cycles. Yes, it does. Yes, I've got that. And it will give you loads of data. My fiance, she's been sharing with me some of the data uh, from her from her cycles. And you know, she got an alert basically saying that you now's the time you may be experiencing PMS symptoms. And you know, that gave her uh, information and understanding of why she was feeling that way. And when you have that data, when you understand that about yourself, instead of, again, you know, fighting against it, you can start to understand and be kind to yourself and then maybe take predicted measures to, to deal with that. So obviously, you've got the fitness side of things, but also you work heavily on a nutritional basis as well. Why is it important that you cover both in the success of someone's fitness goals 
if I'm honest, fitness is probably the thing that I spend the least time on uh, with my clients. When I was a personal trainer in London, obviously that's 100% of what I was doing. But what I quickly realized is that people were coming to me they wanted long-term behavioral change. They wanted to improve their life in lots of different ways. And just watching someone exercise for an hour, you know, you're not going to be able to do that. Yeah, you get them fitter. But ultimately, really what I focus on with my clients, the number one thing is their habits, their beliefs, their mindsets, their identity, getting them to recognize what are their limiting self-beliefs without calling them limiting self-beliefs. Because if I ask them what are their limiting self-beliefs, they're going to say things, but actually they're probably not going to recognize what the real ones are. So you have to kind of word it in a certain way. And, but yeah, ultimately it's addressing their thoughts about themselves, about their environment, about fitness, about fat loss and helping them get out of that black and white thinking into what works in the long term, which is small changes incorporated over a long period of time. And then of course those small changes do involve nutritional changes and I very much focus on habits rather than cut out this cut out that some examples of the habits that I see work time and time again so number one is eat nutritious foods most of the time okay so I mean like you know fresh ingredients cooked from scratch most of the time you don't have to do that 100% of the time you don't have to do any of this 100% of the time secondly and this is a big one is uh, eat until you're full at meal times. This can be groundbreaking for a lot of the people I work with because they're trying to lose weight. Therefore, they're trying to eat less at mealtimes. But of course, what that means is they feel deprived. They, they have hunger. They're obsessing about food all day. And that hunger builds up to the point where they're snacking uncontrollably in the evenings or they are then binging on the weekends. And that's ultimately pushing them into a surplus and they're either not losing weight or putting on weight. So by eating to your full, you're going to drastically reduce your hunger levels to the extent where you can start to eliminate snacking, which is the third habit. If you're eating nutrient-dense meals most of the time, if you're eating until you're full at mealtimes, you do not need to snack. For me as a coach, snacking is a big, big issue mm. because really you're just, look, to achieve fat loss, you have to be in a calorie deficit. And the more frequently you eat throughout the day, the more opportunity you have to overeat. So if you're eating three meals, three snacks, um, you know, essentially those three snacks will add up into another meal. So essentially you're eating four meals. So I really want to stress here, I'm not telling people that they should like drastically cut their calories and cut out and not listen to their bodies. But if you eat nutritious foods most of the time and you eat until you're full at three meals per day, you should not need to snack. Which leads me into the next one, which is fill up on protein. Protein is the most filling macronutrient. You know, you don't have to eat meat to get protein, but ultimately the more, the higher the protein, the less hungry you're going to feel, which is powerful for being in a calorie deficit. And finally, the fifth habit is to get a 12 hour overnight fasting. Don't get scared by the word fasting. This isn't intermittent fasting. This is just giving your digestion a break. You know, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. will really help for improved digestion, stabilize blood sugar levels and ultimately reduce your calorie intake as well. You said so many things in your last answer that I want to touch upon. I guess, firstly, you talked about self-limiting beliefs and actually a lot mm. of the limiting beliefs that people think they have, they often have different ones. Can you give us an example of some of the self-limiting beliefs you recognize in clients that are often not able to maybe see it for themselves? It's kind of um, definite statements, like I am this, 
I am an emotional eater. I don't have the time. I don't have a good relationship with food. I don't enjoy exercise. I don't like eating healthy. People have limiting self-beliefs for reasons. And a lot of the time that I see my clients have uh, limiting self-beliefs is because it's a result of failing at many, many different diets and trying to lose weight over and over and over again to the extent where you start to believe there's something wrong with the, the, your metabolism that, or it's your genetics. I don't ask directly what are your limiting self-beliefs, like I said earlier, but usually I'll listen to what they're saying very closely. And I hear it all the time, I am an emotional eater. And immediately I'll be like, right, I'm going to stop you there. Does that belief about yourself serve you or not? And often they realize no, because it is just a belief and ultimately it becomes self-fulfilling. If you tell yourself you're an emotional eater, it's like you have no control over it. Mm -hmm. And that means that it's going to happen. A lot of the time, it's really getting them to be aware of the concept of uh, having a growth mindset where you start to see problems as challenges and ultimately you can achieve anything that you like, but it's going to take some hard work. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. What are your thoughts of the new trend around monitoring glucose levels? We had the glucose goddess on the podcast recently. Oh, nice. And, you know, essentially, if you haven't listened to the episode, I really recommend you doing so. But there are new glucose tracking companies coming out and it helps you to see when you dip in blood depending on what you've eaten. What are your thoughts on that? And how does this relate to fitness? Like everything, anyone that gives you kind of a, a definite answer on anything fat loss or fitness related, you should be wary of. I mean, it very much depends on the individual and what are the goals of using something like that. I have been very interested in that myself because I do endurance events. I climb mountains, I'm a mountaineer. And to understand how certain foods are affecting my blood sugar levels, is important and I can potentially, you know, change what I'm taking and potentially have more stable energy levels and time my nutrition better so that I'm not experiencing any kind of slump halfway up a mountain. But then, you know, on the flip side, and it's a bit like the whole government advice of having calories information on, on menus, it can be a double-edged sword because it can then feed into people's beliefs about certain foods and feed into this black or white thinking of this food is bad, this food is good. And ultimately, if you have that way of thinking about food, if a food is bad and you eat it, you feel guilty. And guilt can have a fundamental impact on your mental health. So 
it really depends. It can be a very useful tool, but I would, you know, if one of my clients was to ask me that, I would say that maybe a year down the line, once you've really improved your relationship with food, achieved your goals, and you're looking to improve performance and take it to the next level, we can look at something like that. But right at the beginning, there's so many wins you can have and overcomplicating it with more data like that, I think. Double-edged sword. I would love to find out your general advice on food because you celebrate the fact that within your programs somebody can eat chocolate they can eat pizza they can eat their favorite foods regardless of what they are that obviously is quite contrary I guess to what we see out there why on the whole do carbs and sugar get such a bad reputation and we've all become so scared of over consuming those sorts of food categories Again, there's a, a variety of reasons for that. I think obviously it originates uh, from Atkins uh, and then recently it's been keto. So there's the kind of media fad diet emphasis on that. It's also important to point out that, you know, carbohydrates encompass a lot of different foods and you have kind of processed carbohydrates versus non-processed carbohydrates. And on the whole, the processed carbohydrates, in my experience, can cause problems for people with overconsumption. You know, they're, de- they're designed in a way to make you eat more. You know, they have a very specific amount of salt, sugar, and fat, um, which, is, which hijacks what's called your bliss point, uh, and you want more and more and more and more. It's not to say they're not bad. You can eat them, but it's important to understand how they may affect you. And then you've got things like, you know, potatoes, rice, and all that kind of stuff, which are naturally formed carbohydrates. So there's all this you know, social pressure, but then there are actually some physiological things that happen when you cut out carbohydrates, which reinforces this idea that they are bad in inverted commas. And so essentially, if you, if you're someone that eats carbohydrates regularly, and then you decide you're going to go and do ketogenic diet, where you basically completely cut them out, what's going to happen is you're going to reduce your carbohydrates and carbohydrates is stored as something called glycogen in your muscles and liver. And for every gram of glycogen you have in your muscles and your liver, you're going to store one to three grams of water. So you suddenly cut out your carbohydrates, which means you have less glycogen in your body, which means you're storing less water. Essentially, people often get a massive shift on the scales after a few days of cutting out carbohydrates, like literally two, three kilos. But that is not fat. That has nothing to do with uh, body composition. It's just water. So that kind of makes people have this realization like, oh, you know, it must have been the carbs. And then it works the other way around as well. So let's say you've been following keto for four weeks and you you know you've been losing weight and then there's one night where inevitably you've got a social event and you're going to eat carbohydrates otherwise you're going to have a horrible time you weigh yourself the next day and you've gone up two or three kilos again reinforces this idea that carbohydrates are bad you know then people you know like i said there's these different types of carbohydrates and people do tend to experience fluctuations in energy levels over consumption when you're eating lots of processed carbohydrates all the time so there are you know quite a wide variety of reasons but really to like i said earlier to lose weight you have to achieve a calorie deficit and you can incorporate things like pizza and chocolate and wine and still be in a calorie deficit and lose weight once you understand that then you can take yourself out of that black or white thinking and think there's no such thing as a good or a bad food but there are foods that make may make me feel in a certain way that will encourage me to eat in a calorie deficit and have more energy levels and and feel more focused and have better health. But then there are foods that um, I might eat sparingly because I enjoy the taste of them in the short term, but there are a few kind of negative consequences. But ultimately I'm an adult and I'm gonna make that decision as an adult if I want to eat them or not. 
What are your thoughts on sugar addiction? Because I feel like this is so many of us are addicted to sugar without probably even realizing it. And that, you know, need for something sweet after you've eaten dinner. That's like my vice. I just need some chocolate after I've eaten dinner. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I accept the point that, you know, we should allow ourselves everything. But at the same time, sugar addiction often isn't our fault because it just happens to be in the food that is around us. You know, maybe we don't have time to eat mm-hmm. nutritious meals. Like that's my problem, I think, with the fitness industry in, at large is it's assuming people have time to make these foods from scratch. For someone who is time poor, how do they create nutritious meals that are going to keep their energy levels high and be working for them? Yeah, so I'd like to make things clear. Um, The bulk of the clients that I deal with, obviously most of them women, um, have two, three young children under the age of 10. Some of them have two, three young children under the age of 10 and they are full-time, they have full-time careers. So I'm very aware of the fact that time is an issue. But I think taking a deep look at how they structure their day and being very mindful of potentially areas where they are wasting time, like scrolling through social media, like watching TV, things like this, seeing where you can find uh, that time. And then just starting with one meal, you know, it can be very overwhelming. You buy a cookbook and you've got like hundred recipes in there, you know, there's cookbooks everywhere. And it can be very overwhelming because especially Mm. if you don't know how to cook anything, you don't know where to begin. Mm. But actually, you know, advice is like really learn how to cook one meal on repeat and you should be able to cook, eat and clean up within half an hour. Mm. And if you don't have half an hour in your day, then definitely you need some better time management. (laughs) (laughs) What's going wrong? (laughs) Can you give us some one meal, half an hour in and out recipes that are your go-to's? The way that I cook, like, you know, on a weekend when I have more time, I'll follow a new recipe, right? I'll, I'll find something, I'll be extravagant, it'll take more than half an hour. Most of the time, I finish the working day. The first, I mean, number one, and we talked about this earlier, it's your environment. I've set my environment up in a way that it's easy for me to, to cook and make good choices or better choices, shouldn't use the word good, because I have healthy, nutritious foods in my fridge all the time. You know, Mm. there are ways in which you can make that easy. You can get deliveries. You know, anyone that lives in a city, you get food deliveries. You can have nutritious food delivered to your door and it's in your fridge. That's taking away one big obstacle from being able to to cook. And then really, I just put things together. You know, I'll have like some meat, some, you know, or sometimes I don't eat meat. I eat a vegetarian a few few days a week as well. A load of fresh vegetables, which, you know, doesn't sound that exciting, but it tastes really good. Mm. And, you know, usually it doesn't take long to cook. The key thing is making sure you've got the ingredients in the fridge. Because obviously, mm. if you've read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, you know, very, very good book, which I advise anyone to read. But what he says is if you're trying to incorporate uh, a positive lifestyle habit, you want to remove um, the obstacles in between you and the habit, the desired habit. So obviously, if your goal is to cook from scratch, uh, one way that you're going to remove an obstacle is making sure that you've got the food in the fridge. Because if you don't, what's going to happen is it's the end of the day. Mm. You realize, oh, there's nothing in the fridge. I've got nothing to cook. Then you have to go out to the shops, you know, buy buy something and then come back and cook it. And that's going to take an hour instead of half an hour. And so obviously the easy thing for you to do is just order the delivery or Uber Eats. You know, set your kitchen up, nutritious food in the fridge, mm. pick one recipe and eat it and repeat until it's memorized and it takes no time at all. And then you can incorporate another one. 
love small steps makes it so much more achievable i just want to discuss with you i guess the controversy over fat loss because i feel like fat loss has also now become kind of part of the category of anti-aging we have a huge group of people that find it extremely offensive you know even when i was preparing for this podcast i was like oh god i don't want to be cancelled for doing a podcast around kind of <laughs> fat loss because you know i don't want that to be offensive and you know of course we we celebrate self acceptance that's the main thing but you know of course this does link to i guess scientific health discoveries too so again we are talking about just generally living healthier how do you approach that topic with clients and the sensitivities around it well, on the whole, it's not an issue for me because obviously the, the clients that come to me are unhappy with their situation and they want to lose the weight and they are aware that, you know, according to 99.9% of the research that's out there, it's associated with lots of lifestyle related issues. Really, for me, the body positive movement is clearly a good thing. You know, you don't want to make anyone feel guilty for looking a certain way. And that's why I do what I do. It's helping people through that. But I think specifically the sentiment at the moment and the aggression at the moment about this topic is a symptom of being exposed to fad diets and diet culture mm. basically people have just given up because restriction and deprivation is horrible mm. and no one wants to do that to the point where people are feeling now feeling very strongly that they shouldn't feel the need to lose the weight because trying it is not sustainable and it's punishment and greatly affects your quality of life but obviously my belief is that there's a middle ground and that you can lose weight successfully and keep it off as I've proved time and time again with, you know, hundreds of people that you can eat pizza, you can, you know, enjoy these things and, and not restrict and deprive yourself and lose weight. But I think my clients come to me wanting to lose weight, All right, That's their sole goal. And very quickly, I reshape their thinking into learning to enjoy the process mm. of eating a bit healthier and moving a bit more. Mm. And the byproduct of that is they lose weight and it's not the sole focus. And that's the only way that they're going to get long-term success is by getting rid of that emotional attachment to the number on the scale. So in many respects, I completely understand where this movement is coming from, but I think it's a bit misguided. And actually, if people were able to have the access to the right information and the right support, the right accountability, that potentially, if they wanted to improve their situation, they could in a way that is enjoyable and sustainable. I also think, and I like with everything on social media, it's very heated. Um, but actually a lot of the one thing I do help with, with my clients with is, is feeling guilty for trying to better themselves. And this is very toxic in itself um, and just creates more unnecessary guilt for people who are just trying to do something for themselves. What food or non-food, should I say, gets you most annoyed in terms of the health benefits are overhyped or people think that it's super useful for them to have, but actually it's not. Is there one particular food you just think is overinflated and doesn't really serve its hype? Yeah. Most things that are labeled as superfoods, <laughs> nearly every vegetable that you look at is a superfood. <laughs> Usually the superfood thing, it's very based on trends. It's very based on who's releasing a book about as long as you eat these seven superfoods, you know, they change all the time. And it's usually related off, you know, someone famous bringing out a book. So I would say the term superfoods is unhelpful. And it again, kind of implies that there, there is the opposite. You know, if you've got good foods, if you've got clean foods, 
therefore you've got bad foods you've got dirty foods so if there are superfoods there's going to be the opposite and if people are eating the opposite there's going to be guilt i would say that maybe the only real true superfood is the mushroom kingdom mm. fungi i mean they are amazing in so many different ways 40 percent of prescription drugs are derived from mushrooms i use mushroom derivatives every day lion's mane chaga uh, reishi mm. so that is yeah pretty much the only one i would call a superfood I mean, I always think it's amazing how penicillin, yeah. the greatest medicine that was ever created, comes from essentially mold. Yeah. This has been such an interesting episode. It never ceases to amaze me how much our belief system feeds into weight, fitness, health, and so much of it starts in the mind. So this has been really interesting to kind of like touch upon that relationship how best can people find you? And like, you know, if somebody is interested in the way that you work, how do you format that? Uh, well, I'd say, you know, the best place is probably to check out social media platforms, Instagram. I'm now posting a lot of free content every single day, sometimes twice a day, and I will be consistently. So I would say that Instagram is probably the most kind of great way to get really bite-sized free information, free advice from me. And if that helps, then I'm happy. Ultimately, if you're serious and maybe you want to have a conversation with me about how I could maybe help and you know give you some advice, then really I would say that the best way is just to slide into the DMs on Instagram or send me an email. Thank you much for joining us. I will put Max's um, link to his Instagram and his website in the show notes for you guys to find him. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Not Perfect Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would deeply appreciate it if you wouldn't mind subscribing and leaving a review and perhaps maybe sending it to a friend who also might enjoy this episode. I can't tell you how grateful I am for those that share this podcast on their social media or with friends because it helps the show reach more listeners. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So if you've had any thoughts or you want a specific specific guest coming up in future episodes just let me know shoot me a message on instagram or twitter it's just at poppy jamie and so until next time stay flexible stay true to you and stay leaning into love Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.